Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, it's been a long four weeks for me. If you are just visiting with us or maybe haven't been here of late, um, a couple months ago I was uh, interacting with some of our elders, and, and I tell you, we're very, we are very blessed with our leadership here at Center Point Bible Church. And um, we were praying about what, what was going on in our church and our elders. I don't know uh, what was happening, but the elders said, Lowell, we think you need to take a couple weeks off. And uh, maybe I was cranky, you know, like a toddler you put in bed. Okay, maybe that's what it was. But, um, and so over the last four weeks, uh, my family and I have just kind of uh, retreated a little bit and, and refreshed and just um, seeking the Lord on what His plan is for our church. And, and um, it's been good. But I'll tell you what, it's great to be back. Um, my, my favorite Sunday of the last four weeks was the one when I came here a uh, week before last. Um, we've been able to just to visit some other churches, some, some churches of our family members and so forth. And, and um, every Sunday, we get in the car and we go on our way home and we'd say, it was good, but it sure wasn't center point. You know, God has really blessed us. He really has. And I'm excited for what the Lord holds in store for us. Um, just want to give you just a quick update of some of the things that have been happening. As Pastor Steve said, uh, there'll be an email coming more about this. But, but those of you who, who maybe don't know our full story, um, we spent 10 years in the Spring Mills community, right there by the new Walmart, we used to say. Not so new anymore, but the Walmart there in the Spring Mills community. And um, we were able to do VBS there this week. And we, we have invested greatly in that community. And it's given us a voice, an opportunity many, many times, even this week. And in God's planning and God's working, he, he really, it wasn't our decision, but, but as God worked, we, we needed to leave there at Spring Mills for a period. And God has landed us here at Faith Christian Academy, and it's been a great setup for us. I'm very thankful for the leadership and for, for those that are in charge here at Faith Christian Academy. They've been, they've been so hospitable to us. They've opened up their lives to us and said, please come and, and allow this to be the place where, where God launches you where you're going next. And um, it is being confirmed again and again and again that the Lord has let us know what is next for us. And a lot of you are aware of this, but there's a piece of property in a building on T.J. Jackson Drive. It's right there in Spring Mills community. It's right where we want to be. We've been praying that we'd be within a mile of that light there in Spring Mills. And, and this just ticks all the boxes. And God is continuing to lead. He's continuing to provide. There are things that we, we just can't unleash yet, but we are still praying and hoping and believing that we'll worship over there as a body before the end of this year. That's, what, that's how God seems to be leading us. And we are excited to, to allow Centerpoint to continue to be the epicenter of God's work there in the Spring Mills community. He brought us out of there for a period of time. And for anything, let us remember how much we want to be back there. And how much we want to see the Lord use us to reach and disciple the people of that community. So in the meantime, what do we do? We keep doing what we do is what we do. We point to Jesus Christ and his word. And I'm thankful you're here this morning to, to experience that. To, to be pointed to Christ. And it's already happened in our worship songs, in our interaction. It's going to happen now as we look in God's word. As, as I trust that you'll, after a worship service, be part of a focus group. And just live out what God has called you to. If you're in Christ today, you're a brand new creature. 
Oh, you're in this world, but you're not of it. And we need these times where we retreat away from from the things of this world and, and come together with other believers and be reminded of what is right and what is true. I mean, just in the last 24 hours, if you've had on any source of media at all, you've been reminded of death and of destruction and of sin. And listen, as we see people harming and hurting and taking lives, when, as we see that and we grieve over it, I want you to know our Father in heaven, He grieves. He grieves over what we are capable of doing. But listen, I want you to have hope today. I want to bring hope to us. Because in a dark environment, when it is its darkest, light is its most powerful. You know this to be true. You've probably experienced it. I know I have. Just a couple years ago, my son and I were, were backpacking and camping up in Dolly Sods. It's a, a wilderness reserve area in the middle of West Virginia. And um, I'm not a huge camping fan anymore. I was when I was younger. And I, don't, you know, I don't particularly like laying on the ground awake all night anymore. But um, on this particular night, I, my son, who, thank you for praying for Daniel. He's, he's doing great. He's there at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. We get letters from him, and he's really doing well. He and I were camping one night in Dolly Sods, and, and of course, I couldn't sleep. Nobody can sleep on the ground laying on a rock and a stick. You can't do it if you're over the age of 20, right? So I'm laying there wide awake at like 2 and 2.30 and 3 and 3.30. Can you check the watch, please? Let it be morning. Let it be morning. Finally, I just got up. I'm like, okay, enough of this. Got up, unzipped the tent, crawl out, and oh, I'm so glad I did. The sky above me was beautiful. It was a dark night. The moon was gone and not a cloud in the sky. And you could see all these lights. And it was amazing. After just a few moments, after just a few moments of allowing my eyes to adjust, I could see in the darkness. When it's dark, light is its most powerful. I want to encourage us today from God's Word, because we are seeing all around us that this world is opposed to God and His Word and to biblical Christianity. This world is flying in the face of it. Oh, there was a period of time, even in our country, maybe in the 20th century, where Christianity was kind of admired. You know, where I could walk into the barber shop. Okay, And I could say, you know, to everybody that's also getting their hair cut, and I could say, I'm a pastor. And those sitting there with me would think, ooh, wow. And there'd be some admiration. But now you know, and you feel it too. It's, it's, it's moving now in our culture to where if you speak up as a Christian, there are environments now that I'm careful about saying that I'm a pastor because if I do, I automatically get a closed door. I get, I get arm's length. There was a time in our country where, where just a brief time, where, where maybe Christianity was admired from a distance. Oh, but we're seeing now. We're seeing now the true reality of what most believers have experienced. 
And that is that people want naturally now, naturally, people don't want the truth of who Christ is. So how do we live? How do we, as believers, as lights in a dark world, how do we function in that environment? Well, if you remember anything today other than God's Word, if you remember anything that I happen to say, I I want you to remember this truth. We are called to be what God is in our world. You and I are called to be what God is in our worlds. By His grace, we can't do it in our own strength. As the Spirit of God enables us, wherever we are, we be what God is. Today I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to find that in your Bible, it would be a help to you. We are going to look today um, briefly at, at what is becoming one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. Now, there was a time where if I ask you the most familiar passage of Scripture, you might have said John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But I think we're finding there's not a familiarity anymore with with these basic tenets, these, these basic things about who Christ is and about His Word. So rather, Matthew chapter 7 has maybe the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. Read it with me. I'll read it aloud. Follow along. Matthew chapter 7. Look what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged. You hear this all the time. Any reading of blogs, any watching of news on television, it's, it's all over the place. Judge not, judge not, judge not. What does this mean? What did Jesus mean when he said this? That's our topic for today. Let's read down through verse 6. Follow along with me. Judge not, Jesus said, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Judge not in verse number one. That's today's mantra, and I think many of us are allowing it to silence us. We're allowing it to, to silence us. And like a hammer to, it, to the head, it just shuts us down when we hear that. It's important for us to know exactly what Jesus meant and what he, what he intended for us as believers to understand about this concept here that refers to as judging. Now again, I want us to remember that the, the call on our lives all through Scripture is to be what God is in our world. This is what he's doing in you. He's conforming to the image of the Son. 
to his son. He's conforming to that image. And so we go into our world and we be what God is. So it might do us some good, before we look at Matthew chapter 7, to know what God said about himself. And we should give him that right. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't that be okay for us to do? What does God say about himself? Well, one of the earliest places in Scripture where God speaks of his own character is in the book of Exodus. I've got it for the screen. It's in Exodus chapter 34. It's verses 6 through 7. Now, let's read how God explained himself, what God said about himself. You're probably familiar with this passage. It's in Exodus, and and Moses here is, is calling out that God might reveal himself to Moses. Moses wants to know God, and so God answers his request. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, this is Yahweh, Yahweh, I am that I am. That's what that Lord, Lord means. It's his name. It's it's the name that God has given himself, Yahweh, I am, I am. A God, Elohim. Here's the two names of God, Yahweh and Elohim. So he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do you see what we see about God? He is, he is merciful. He is full of grace. This is who he is. It is his character. And we are to be what God is. This is what Jesus understands about his Father. He's full of mercy, full of grace, full of truth, and says, now you go be that in your world. So Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1, we, we, we start to get this idea, and, and again, it is the mantra of our culture, that, that judge not, lest ye be judged. That's how people usually say it, okay? They, they quote the old King James. Nothing wrong with that. But ESV says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, it's easy to fall into the trap to think, to, to agree with what the world says. Well, this means, obviously what this means is that, that we can never say that something is wrong. That we need to keep our own thoughts to ourselves. That, that who are we to evaluate the thoughts or the beliefs or the actions of somebody else? It's what the world tells us that this means. But does that align with the rest of Scripture? I mean, just if you, if you just use a little bit of logic here, you can see that's not the case. I mean, look at verse number 6. Look what Jesus says. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Do you see a problem? If we interpret judge not, meaning that we can never speak to what is right or wrong, what is true or false, then how do we understand verse number 6? Do you see that? And look down, I mean, it continues. Look at verse number 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So Jesus here has evaluated and said, there's two gates, a narrow gate and a wide gate. 
And there's, there's two prophets. Look at verse number 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but in inward are ravenous wolves. Something's wrong. Something is wrong in our understanding. If we take judge not, lest ye be judged, to mean that, that I have to agree with what the world says. You're familiar with the message of the world. I mean, I just wrote some things here. No one has any right to identify an attitude, belief, or action is wrong. No one has any right to disregard any moral standard. No one has any right to, to call for any moral absolute. Nobody has any right to believe that one belief can be true and another can be false. No one has any right to question the sincerity, the authenticity of anyone's beliefs. That's how people define do not judge. But when you look at the rest of Scripture, they don't compute. They, they don't fit. There's something wrong in our understanding. And folks, we need to realize something. People's eternal state is on the line. If we allow the culture around us to redefine what God is calling us to, people's eternal state is on the line. So we need to understand exactly what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. So let's deal with it. The word judge is from a Greek word, okay? It's not really that important to know what it is. It's the word krino. It's in your Bible 115 times, the word judge is. It's, it's got a range of meanings. Now listen to these meanings of the word judge. It can mean to decide. It can mean a legal trial. It can mean to sue. It can be to mean to be condemned. It can, it can mean to be determined. It can be positive or negative depending upon the context. And, and you guys asked the question, you answered the question, in your judgment, what was the best summer food or whatever it is that Pastor Brock said? You used that word judgment in a similar way to the word crino. That word judgment can mean a lot of different things. In that context, in your judgment, what is the best summer food? It meant your opinion. Somebody could say there's a judgment against me, and that would mean something completely different. You could say to your children as they go out, maybe your teenager goes out on a Friday night, and you might say, hey, listen now, you need to make some good judgments tonight. And that would, this would all mean something different, would it not? Depending upon the context, it would mean something completely different. It's the same way with this word. Crino. It's the same exact word. Let me give you a definition of this word, okay? Now, now, you don't have to write this down, but just hear it, okay? Crino means this. Through some means, and in line with the context, crino means to make a selection or identification as to the value of an act and respond accordingly. This is what crino means. It means to look at a situation, depending upon the context, you may or may not have different types of decisions. You, you may or may not bring different means of evaluating the situation, but you will come to a decision. You will come to an assessment, and then you respond accordingly by the context. That's what crino means. So Jesus says, Crino not. 
that you not be crenoed. All right, so, so what, is, what is Jesus calling us to? The first thing I want us to see, and, and you can follow along in your, on your worship notes and in your, in your passage, but the first thing I want us to see comes out of verse number 1, and, and here's what it is. Judge not that ye not, be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. The first thing I want us to see here is what Jesus is calling us against, what he's speaking against, and, and really what he's inviting us to, is to avoid a critical spirit. Instead, we give great grace. Avoid a critical spirit. He says here, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. What is Jesus calling us to? He's saying you as a, he's speaking here to his disciples. Remember that. He's speaking to believers. And he's saying, as you evaluate, as you discern, as you look at situations and assign value and assign right or wrong, be careful how you do this. And bring in the same method of evaluation that you apply to yourself. When, when, we, when we are judged by God, when God evaluates us, we count on his grace and his mercy. Do we not? Oh, I know you do. As you, when you bow your head to pray, when you walk in here to sing, when you get up in the morning, you may not say it but you're trusting that his mercies will be new on that day. And Lamentations 3 tells us that they are. So what Jesus is pointing us to is this. When we judge situations, our judgment will reveal how we view God's judgment of us. I will judge people and situations in the same way that I receive God's judgment. So when I look at people who do wrong, when I look at people who believe wrong, when I look at people who say wrong, how do I view that? Do I stand above them as the righteous judge? Or do I give them the same grace and the same mercy that I receive from God? What Jesus is helping us to understand is this. If you are a new creature, if you are a redeemed man, a redeemed woman, you understand you have received the grace and the mercy from God. And so we live that with other people. We avoid this critical spirit that nitpicks, and instead we give great grace. We give grace. How did God give you grace? Do you say, oh, your sin, your wrong, your iniquity, your transgression, free pass. Is that how God dealt with you? Not at all. Not at all. God didn't give us a free pass. He took the sin that was ours. And he took it on himself. This is what grace is. This is what mercy is. 
And Jesus is saying, if you understand that kind of grace, you give it. You give it. Let me help you in your critical spirit. Let me help you. The worst sin you can ever imagine, whatever it is, you and I, apart from Christ, are completely capable of that one. Yeah, even you. The worst thing you can think of, if God isn't working in your life, if you step away from him, you, will, you can go right down that path. I have seen godly men and women people that I believed had an intimate relationship with Christ, and I've seen them walk away from Christ and commit adultery and commit gross immoral sin and deny the gospel. I've seen it. We need to, uh, we need to allow our, our evaluation, our spirit of criticism, our evaluation, our, our, our spirit of judging others to be influenced by the grace of and the mercy that we have received. Let me give you a picture of this just quickly. Keep your finger here and turn over to Luke chapter 18. As we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount together, we've gone to this passage on many occasions, Luke chapter 18, because it, it wraps up the example of what Jesus is speaking to. Remember, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and, and he is helping them to understand that what he is calling them to, the leadership that he is calling the disciples to, he is contrasting that with the religious leaders of that day. The religious leaders of that day are, are raining judgment down upon others with no grace, no mercy. No grace, no mercy. And raining that judgment down upon the world around them. And Jesus is trying to say, you don't lead like that. You don't lead like the Pharisees around us today. You bring grace and mercy. So an example of this is in Luke chapter 18. It's very brief, so we can read it together. It's in verse number 9. Jesus tells a parable to, to help people understand. He, he also told this parable to show them that they were trusting in themselves and their own righteousness. And they treated others with contempt. Here's the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee. Standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And his prayer ended. In verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be what God is. God is full of mercy. God is full of grace. Look what the Pharisee did. He elevated himself. He claimed to be above sin. Maybe he was not an extortioner. Maybe he was not unjust. Maybe he was not an adulterer. But he was a sinner. And he wasn't even aware of that, apparently. He's not even aware of this. He's, he's grown so callous, he can't even see his own sin. And then he takes it another step further. 
And then he, he praises himself. I fast twice a week. Find that in the Bible. Find that command in the Bible. You won't. I give tithes of all that I get. Find that in the Bible. You won't. Do you see what he's done? He's, he's put a blanket over his own sin. Put a blanket over his own sin. These things that he's chosen, he said, see, I haven't done these things, so I'm good. But then he took a couple things that maybe he's got squared away, and he does pretty good with those things, and he elevates those and says, see how righteous I am. No mercy, no grace, no truth. We bring that kind of judgment to the world around us. We bring that kind of judgment to our believing friends. We bring that kind of judgment to, to people right here in this body. You know what's revealing? It reveals we don't know the mercy and the grace of God. A man or woman touched by mercy and grace of God agrees with Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Line us up and I'm in the front. I'm the line leader of sinners. Put me up front. I lead the way. I'm number one. This is a man who's been touched by grace and mercy. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Let's bring some balance to this because, see, it's funny how we are as people. See, some of us, we, we kind of tend one way or the other, okay? And, and the gracious, merciful people are right now saying, yeah, yeah, low, yeah, yeah. But the passage isn't done. The passage isn't done. You cannot go to sleep right now. We cannot end right now. We will go as long as we have to to cover the rest of this because we've got to bring balance to what Jesus is saying. So in verse number 3, let's see the follow-up point. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye But do not notice the log that is in, in your own. Now that aligns with Jesus' first point here. Not to be critical, but instead to bring great grace. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Again, that aligns with Jesus' first point. But look where he goes next. You hypocrite. If you want to know how not to be a hypocrite, you've got to continue to read. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not enough to just silently pull back into the bushes and be gracious and be merciful in your own hearts. We've got to speak the truth. We've got, we've got to deal with the speck. And this is Jesus' balancing point. We must avoid calloused pride that says, oh, I'm not like them, so I'll just be quiet here and in my, in my pride brag to myself. And instead, I've got to be moved by compassion. What does that look like? So Jesus has painted a picture for us. Remember, Jesus spent probably 30 years as a carpenter. He understood splinters. He understood 
boards. And that's the word here he uses. He talks about a speck in someone's eye. And literally, it's the word splinter. Can you imagine getting a splinter in your eye? Man, I get a splinter in my finger, and I whine to my wife for like a week. You know, you don't know how bad this is. Look at it, right? Imagine it's in your eye. That's a miserable, horrible, heartbreaking situation. You see a guy or a gal with a splinter in your eye, and if you can just walk by and be like, ah, too bad for you, you're not revealing any kind of new nature. You see somebody with a splinter in your eye, and your heart should break. What can I do? What can I do? So we need to be careful that we don't interpret this to mean that we say nothing. That all we do is mercy and grace. No, in our mercy and our grace, we bring compassion. And what do we do? Well, Jesus says, you take the board out of your own eye. So, and I mean, obviously this is hyperbole. It's impossible to board in your own eye. But Jesus is saying, deal with your own problem, and then you can come and remove the splinter. What is Jesus pointing us to? You've been touched by grace. You have, I trust. You've known the forgiveness of Christ with all of your sin, with all of what you have done, with all of your transgressions, iniquities, whatever Bible word you want to use. You have brought all that to Jesus. You've laid it at his feet, and he has said, I forgive you. Because of the cross, I forgive you. And now I don't bring you to heaven. I send you into darkness. I send you into darkness. Go find the splinter eye. Go find the splinter eye. And in compassion, help them remove it. The world doesn't need people who just point to splinters. Splinter, 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 splinter. God's calling us to be what he is. We come in compassion. See, I see you got a splinter. I've had a splinter in my eye. I know how horrible that is. But I know one that can fix it. His name is Jesus. He died to remove the sting of death. See the difference? One rises up on a pedestal and judges, condemns that meaning of crino. The other comes with that other contextual meaning of crino and discerns what is wrong and evaluates what the fix is and offers Christ. This is what we're here for, folks. This is what we're here for. Now Jesus continues, and in verse number 6, it's absolutely necessary to understand this, this passage and what he's calling us to. Remember again what Jesus is doing. The whole Sermon on the Mount is training for his disciples who will become his apostles. 
He is training them and helping them to understand what he wants them to be in the world, to reach the world. He's contrasting them with the religious leaders of the day. He's saying, look at the Pharisees around. Look at the Sadducees. Look, look at everybody around you. Look what they have done. You be different. You be different. You bring great grace and you bring truth with compassion. But verse number 6 calls us to trust God. Look at verse number 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What is Jesus saying here? In the context of his understanding how we're to interact in this dark world, he's saying, listen, but don't get into these contentious arguments. Don't just dive in to win a victory for yourself. No. Trust God's plan. See, there's some discernment here. There's some spirit-filled wisdom. There's some crino. There's some judgment. There's some evaluation to say, is God working here? Is God doing a work here? Because if he is, I'll take out the splinter. But if he isn't, I'll be silent. Don't throw what is valuable to dogs and pigs who would just tear it to pieces. Some of us continue to just dive into contentious arguments because we just want to win. We like victory. It feels good. So if I can pin the person or checkmate them with my ability to verbally outmatch them, I pat myself on the back and I go home, hey, wife, hey, husband, look what I did. Praise me. This isn't what God is calling us to. He's saying, trust the plan of God. Trust the plan. It may be that God is working in your co-worker's life. God may be there working. I, I, I'm not encouraging you to buy a sandwich sign and walk into work tomorrow with the Ten Commandments written on it. This, this, is, this is not what Jesus is calling us to. Instead, we are living in our world as bright lights in a dark, dark environment. We are able to discern what is true and what isn't. We align it with God's words. And when the moment arises where God is clearly working, we step in and we skillfully remove the splinter in the eye out of compassion and out of love. And if we sense as God's Spirit is enabling us and filling us, controlling us, and leading us, this isn't the moment. We're quiet. And we wait. Like a skilled hunter, we wait. Like a master craftsman. Like a spirit-filled believer. Oh, no, no, no. Like God did in your life. Remember when you got saved? Can you, can you go back then in your heart? Prior to that, the weeks and months and years prior, was God slamming you with a two-by-four, calling you a sinner and, and beating you down and kicking you? And No. Romans says that God's, listen, 
God's kindness leads us to repentance. God was kind with you. He was kind with you. He was merciful. He was gracious. And when the Spirit was working there at that church or or at that rally or beside your bed alone or at work or whatever it was, you were convicted in your spirit and you knew you'd done wrong and that Jesus was the solution. And so you cried out to God to save you. That's what we're being called to, to be what God is in our world. Gracious, merciful, able to bring truth to bear, but handling it wisely. Just a couple things that that are just sort of a couple applications I just want to throw out there to you, okay, about this. First of all, I know this is hard, and I know that I don't live the world that many of you do. I understand that. I understand that. I I know that, that I'm asking some of you to speak up, and it's risky. And that's why I want you to respond to God, not to Lord. But we must respond to Him. He has you for such a time as this where you are. Now, you need to give people space. Speak truth and allow God to work. Give people space. Sometimes you'll share truth and you just need to back off and let the Lord do his thing. So you give people space and you give people time. Give people time. You don't, you don't know what God is doing in people's hearts. So give it time. God is in no rush. He is in no rush, but sometimes we are. Give people you. Give people you. If we're going to bring truth to bear into this dark world, we cannot abandon them. But to give people you. I want to challenge you on your social media in that respect. Listen, be careful what you comment. Be careful what you post. I've been burned by this myself. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stepping on some ivory tower and pointing my finger at you. I've been burned by this. When I'm moved by something on Facebook or something, and I think, yeah, this is a good truth. I'll just share this. And I'm not saying you never do that, but be very careful. I think people come to me and tell me that what I shared, it hurt them, and I never had them in my mind. But honestly, at that time, as I look back on it now, it wasn't gracious. It wasn't gracious. Be careful. Give people you. If you're going to share this truth, we need to be there alongside. But most of all, give people grace. You don't know what's going on in their lives. Believers and unbelievers both. Give people grace. I want to close with this reading of a passage here. I referenced it once. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 1. If I can get there, I'll read it to you. Listen to what Paul wrote. The great murderer, Paul. He said, 
I thank Christ who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all assurance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy. For this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do seek your grace. God, I recognize this is tough talk in our world today. Our culture around us today misuses this very verse to silence us, to hold back your witness. God, may we be men and women of wisdom who speak your truth with grace who bring your character to bear with mercy, who operate with wisdom, remembering how much we've been forgiven. And Lord, you might use us to bring light into a very dark world. So God, enable us tomorrow, enable us today, enable us this very moment to be what you are in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.